So as we were uh, this morning, um, uh, well, I was attempting, the other guys were doing really well, but attempting to, uh, to sing. Phil was leading us on the piano, doing a fabulous job, and we're looking forward uh, as uh, we prayed this morning to um, Christmas when we have the opportunity to share the gospel with people, that there's a, an openness that you tend to find uh, with folks, and it's a great joy to be able to do that. But as I was uh, attempting to sing and Phil was leading, yeah, I learned a lot this morning. But I also have to say, but my mind was taken to the, the, uh, the book of the Revelation, because in the book of the Revelation, we hear such a great deal about singing. There's a lot of music involved. There's a lot of voices shouting, and there's a lot of things that are being said. Yes, there's some tough things that are being said, and there are things that we don't always want to hear that are being said. But uh, when you begin to look at the scriptures, you can see... Um, how uh, music is such an important part. And as we sing some of these hymns and songs um, uh, during the course of our services, it's a joy to be able to do this. And one of the themes really that uh, links Revelation 14, uh, that um, um, well, Randy read the, uh, the first seven or eight verses of, uh, and if you look at 15 and 16, you discover that there is a theme that links all of these together. And it very simply is, Voices. We hear voices that are being spoken. And I think uh, if, I, if I'm right in saying this, uh, the word voice or the allusion to voices is used about 11 times in those chapters 14 through to 16. And it's a great joy to uh, be able to come to you this evening. And I want to talk about the voice of God. I want to talk about uh, the voice of his angel, which is recorded for us here in this section and the message that is being spoken of. Of course, great warnings that are given. Uh, we can't ignore the things that are spoken of here. And uh, from my perspective, I believe that the passages of Scripture that we have been looking at last week and again this week, we're beginning to see so very, very clearly how all of these are able to be presented to us into the world in which we live. And uh, we recognize that we live in a world which is riven with strife and torment and many problems. I was saddened to see about 150 young people died in Seoul um, this last uh, uh, weekend from the celebrations for Halloween that they had attended, and they were crushed to death. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a terrible situation to be in. And can you imagine the, uh, the grief that has been brought to many families? And yet you see all over the world that... Uh, there is grief, and in fact, there's always been grief. We don't say that anything is new in that sense. Now, one thing I want to talk about is the fact that words are important. The words that are spoken of here in uh, <coughs> Revelation 14 are important words. And when you read those, uh, uh, those few verses together, verse 2, for example, and I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters. Have you ever stood near a waterfall? Perhaps you've been to Niagara and you listen to the water crashing over and you hear the sound that it makes. And perhaps there's this melee of, of, uh, of currents flowing in different directions and you hear the sound. And this is what uh, John is seeing as he speaks here. He says, I've heard the voice of many waters, a voice from heaven, like the voice of loud thunder again. <laughs> That's one of the biggest differences I've noticed between coming to Ontario and, and living in, in, in the, on the island of Great Britain. We don't have thunderstorms. Well, we do a very, very occasionally. But if I said to you in the whole of my lifetime growing up there, might have heard perhaps a dozen, less even, 
of actual electrical storms because we don't have the land mass that creates the heat. When you're surrounded by the ocean, everything's different. Winter's different, and you don't have uh, thunderstorms. So when we came here and I encountered the first electric storm, it was terrifying. Absolutely, and Canadians were just carrying on as normal, and I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm running for shelter. You're not going to catch me out in this, because I've never seen so much lightning in all my life in, in, in one go. It's, sort of like the ho- it's almost daylight when suddenly everything erupts at the same time. And then you come back to the scriptures, and it's talking about many waters, the voice of many waters. It's talking about the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing, and all of this is mixed together, and they sang as it were a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth and so as I was attempting to sing and as Phil was I think being very gracious and pretending not to listen to my efforts this morning it was a joy to be able to think that one day I will be able to sing and one day it will be music to God's ears. And perhaps you're in the situation where this doesn't interest you at all. You've never thought about the fact that the voice of God will be heard by the entire world. There's coming a time when everybody will look and everybody will listen and everybody will think to themselves, what is going on? What is taking place? And as the world moves into the sad Um, position where the voice of the church is being silenced as much as the world can do and yet we still stick our heads up above the parapet and we still sing a song and we're still prepared to make a a noise and bring glory to God because we can't help but do it and as we listen to God speaking we are uh, excited and encouraged I just want to try and explain that words are important Also, the order of words is important. And uh, if there's anybody who is a professional car mechanic here this evening, you might feel somewhat upset by some of the comments that I'm about to make, but I'm going to make them anyway. I remember as uh, a young man, uh, first car, and uh, there was a problem with it. It had failed its uh, annual MOT test. Now, at the moment, in Ontario, you don't have one of those. I've got a suspicion that things are changing and you will have one of them introduced. And I want to tell you now that it is the worst thing possible (laughs) in the sense that it's expensive because you take your car in and they go through this long list of things that have to be done. And the guy at the garage is very clever, actually, because uh, where you take it to to have the MOT, as it's called, uh, where you take it for this test, it's funny, he's already ordered the parts that are going to fail on your car. Now, I've always thought to myself, that's interesting how that works. And so uh, I took my car in, and uh, he uh, came, I went at the end of the afternoon to pick it up, and uh, when a guy from the uh, repair garage goes, it's going to cost you, you know you're in trouble. And uh, he says it's going to be four hours work at least plus parts because one of the rubber boots if I use the wrong words here it's the bit of rubber that goes over one of the ball joints or or so on from the transmission through to the hub and I remember him saying this and I look at it and it's this this irrelevant piece of rubber but there's a split in it and because of the split 
The car cannot pass its test, which means your insurance is invalid and you can't drive out on the road. He says it's going to cost you at least £400, and that's a lot of money, and it was a huge amount of money in those days because I was only earning £1.29 an hour. Well, you know, that puts things in perspective, and you sort of think to yourself, well, how in the world am I going to cover this? And so I, I did what many young men do, which is to go off to Holford's and buy a Haynes manual. Now, if anyone's been to Britain and you know what Holford's is, I think they have Holford's in the Netherlands, actually, at least they used to. So anyway... Uh, bought uh, the correct uh, manual and I read the pages and I'm thinking to myself, this is going to take forever. Perhaps the garage guy was right, but I'm still not paying 400, 400 pounds plus VAT, okay, which was another 20%. And, uh, and so I decided to take hold of the, the manual. I looked through the first few pages and I thought to myself, there's a shortcut here, I can see it. So I got a crowbar out and tried to lever the uh, drive shaft out of the bottom of the gearbox that went down to the hub on one side. And everything was going fine till suddenly a load of ball bearings drop out. <laughs> and I knew the moment I heard that tinkle, tinkle, tinkle that I was in trouble. And then the next thing worried me immensely. There was a, a cracking sound as the edge of the gearbox cracked off, which was an aluminium um, uh, casting. And I knew at this particular point that what I should have done was to go with the $400 because it ended up being $1,400 by the time everything was replaced. And I think I'm still paying for it. So one has to remember that there are order to things. There are orders to the words that we speak. Uh, there are reasons why the instruction says, do it this way. Because if you don't do it this way, if you try and take a shortcut, you're in trouble. And then things happen that you don't expect to happen. And you end up having to pay a lot of money. And as we come to God's word, and I've uh, emphasized this so often, is that it's not just simply the words that are contained within it, but it's also the order of the words that are spoken of. And we discover very quickly and very soon that as we look at God's word, there's no shortcut in getting to heaven that is spoken of. And there doesn't need to be a shortcut. And yet, so often we discover that people simply want to have a shortcut because they're afraid. They're afraid of many of the things that are spoken of in God's Word. One of the words that they don't like is submission. I don't want to submit to God. I want to do it my way. Another word that we find is discipline. Who wants to be disciplined? You know, we have terrifying memories, perhaps, of the time that we were caught. And perhaps discipline had to be granted. And yet we discover that discipline is because God loves us. In fact, he loves us so much that he'll do anything to help us to see what is right, to see what is wrong, and to be able to see his hand at work in our lives. And so we discover that when we come to the scriptures, we have to listen to what is being said. And we see here in uh, Revelation 14, 15, and 16 that God is speaking. He speaks in many different ways. Creation is speaking. And creation can speak, as we've already discussed, very loudly. But God is speaking. And of course, we know the words in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and verse 12 that speak of God's word. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intentions of the heart. What are your thoughts? 
What are your intentions? Intentions, think about it for a moment. Because I tell you, our intentions so often are the last thing that they should be when it comes to our relationship with God. And yet God's word speaks to us and we soon discover that our intentions need to be what God would have us to do. You see, God's word enables us to know God. It enables us to know ourselves. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that people face today is that they're quite prepared to know about everybody else. But what they don't want to know is about themselves. As we spoke this morning, they don't want to recognize that they're sinners. We recognize that there are so many people today, in fact, countries that talk about God's word as being hate speech. And for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus, for those of us who have come to faith and have been marked by having the name of God imprinted in us and on us, it hurts us to hear these things. And yet this is the world that we live in. I want to say that it's not going to get any easier. But this is one of the greatest evidences of the truth of the gospel. Because if there was no power in God's word, if there was no power in the gospel, then the world would not have any reason to want to stand against us. And yet so often we're undermined. The church is undermined. The Christian faith is undermined. Little bits sometimes, big bits occasionally, but we discover that things are said. And we discover that there is this undermining going on. I tried to save time and money in preparing my car by jumping ahead and by doing what I thought was possible. But I soon realized that there was only one way, and that is to follow the instructions. So last week, as we looked at chapters 13 and 14, and we compared the differences between the people who took the mark of the beast and the people who were marked with the name of God because they belonged to God, and they were God's possessions, and they were protected by God. Aren't those words beautiful? The fact that we can become a possession of God. That means we're valuable. It means we're precious to him. And it also means that the possession is protected. We're not left to face all the problems and difficulties on our own that the world so often throws at us. And so this week, I couldn't help but just read the next few verses in, uh, <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 14. Again, the book of Revelation is not a book that even Christians today seem to like, or people who at least go to church. It's not a set of scripture that we often hear preached from in many respects. Although you soon find that people in the world know a great deal about Revelation. It's fascinating if you uh, ever uh, flick through the titles of films or books. I was in, oh, no, I won't say whose house I was in recently, but uh, I noticed that on the bookshelf uh, she had lots of books entitled Armageddon. And uh, I thought to myself, isn't it fascinating how the themes of Revelation, we can't forget them, we can't walk away from them because they're real. And they're there. And I spoke to you and I admitted to you last week that uh, I had watched a film with my brother entitled 
The Omen, and I regret watching it. And yet my wife, as we were going home, reminded us of the fact that recently Disney, I think it was, tried to bring out a film which was probably, from the description that, uh, that Joe had seen, was worse than that film in terms of, uh, of the evil that it portrayed. And fortunately, and we give thanks to God, Disney shelved that film, at least they have done at the moment. And this was something for children. And uh, I can't remember the title of it, but it was, it was truly appalling to hear about it. So we recognize that there are many films, many books that have been made about the final battle, about Armageddon, about the Antichrist, and about the end of the world. And this evening, I'm not here to frighten anybody, but I am here to tell you that we need to be aware of these things because we are seeing many of the things that are spoken of and alluded to in Revelation happening. All of a sudden, there are things that are taking place in the world which enable us to understand that what Revelation has been talking about is very, very close, is very able to take place and is very able to happen. Yes, it doesn't always happen in the way that we perhaps think or imagine, and yet it does happen, and there it is. You see, there is nothing that happens in this world and our lives that God has not warned us about in his word. But if we don't read his word, then we don't take heed of the warning. If God's word means nothing to us, if we just consider it to be fairy tales, if we just consider it to be, well, you know, for those people that need a crutch of some description, well, they can turn to their Bible and they can read about a God who loves them and cares for them and a God who will do anything for them, a God who will deal with the sin problem in their life. And if that makes you feel better, then go for it. But it's not for me. It's not what I'm interested in. It doesn't mean anything to me and to my family, to my children. God continually brings to our attention the tremendous theme of his great love and his compassion and his mercy throughout his word. And I think that's one of the greatest joys that I've had this year in reading um, the Bible from start to finish. And I don't want to brag, but I've only got four days to go and I've completed it. And the thing is, I couldn't put it down at certain points because it was just wonderful to be able to read through the themes and the thread in the readings that were presented. And if you've never done this, I urge you all to take it seriously because all of a sudden the whole of the scripture comes to life and you begin to see how clearly it all is interlinked together and is for you and it's what you need to hear. He reminds us of all he has done and that we need to respond to his great love and compassion by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, into our hearts and into our lives. The theme of the Bible is indeed love. You can't get away from that. Sometimes people want to belittle that theme, but the reality is it's the greatest theme that we see because God so loved the world that he has done something about the sin that is in it, the sin that is in our lives. And he has done that because he loves us. The Apostle Paul explaining to believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 5 states things very clearly when he says, 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. The Apostle Paul is speaking very, very clearly. And if you have been wondering what the gospel is about, then this is one section of scripture that I would recommend and thoroughly encourage you to be able to turn to. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5. He says, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received. It's a testimony that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So again, we come back to God's Word. There's no shortcuts. You can't get your crowbar out and try and force it. What you need to do is to read it. You pray first, and you ask God to reveal himself to you. Words are important, and the word of God is the word of life. How many books do you think have been published in the world? I've got absolutely no idea. If you go to Nancy Pollard's room, I think she's got most of them in, in, her, in, her, in her room. And if Nancy's listening uh, online, it's incredible, and... Uh, She's, she's got a wonderful collection of books. But the amount of books and literature that has been prepared and has been written over all the, uh, the, the years since, since paper was invented is incredible. Some of them are ancient books. And then we come to one book which is different to all the others because this book is able to impart life to us. But you won't know that, of course, will you, if you don't read it? If you're not interested, you'll never understand. If you're not concerned to find out, well, you'll never know. There are many books that can give you a good read, many books that are exciting. Some of them you just can't put them down. But when it comes to God's book, it's able to change you completely to impart life to you. Now, when we come to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 16, we start to read of a section of Scripture which, again, is not commonly read. Why? Because it talks of God's judgment. In fact, the whole remaining of uh, chapter 14 and then through into chapter 15 and 16, you know, it, it, it's not an easy read. And there are things that can frighten us. If we don't know and love the Lord Jesus, they will do. But we don't always read this section of Scripture because it's beginning to talk about judgment. Who wants to talk about judgment these days? Nobody wants to talk about judgment these days. In fact, that's the one thing that we keep going on about. Don't judge each other. Don't judge me. Teachers aren't allowed to judge children at school anymore. Parents can't make any judgments. We're not given the opportunity to make judgments, because this is what our society has done, is to change us. Nobody wants to be judged by anyone, let alone by God. The understanding of the world today is that no one should judge anyone. We're all right. My truth is my truth. I can believe what I want to believe. 
unless, of course, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then society says no. Uh, and we'll stop these people. We'll discourage them. Friends, the pressure is on us. Are we going to hold to God's word? Or are we going to redact it? Take a black pen, cross it out. There will come a time, perhaps sooner than we all think, when there will be the official version of God's word that the state says we can have. And already versions are beginning to uh, be adjusted and redacted so that we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about judgment. We don't talk about the fact that we need to seek forgiveness in our lives and the lives of our families. It's happening now. And soon we will see that the next step in Satan's attempt to silence the word of God as media and social media particularly has grown in power and is dominated by those who are happy to swear allegiance to Satan. Elon Musk, what, $49 billion to buy Twitter? Now, what is Twitter? Well, I'm sure you guys know. But the person that controls this has the control of millions and millions of people in what they see and what they hear. So in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, we read, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. And just to clarify that, in case you're unsure, it goes on to say to every nation, to every tribe, and to every tongue, and to every people. Ta ethne, I believe, is the Greek word that sums this up. In other words, we're all included. Every single one of us. And the message that the angel speaks is the gospel. Well, let's talk about this angel for a moment. You know, if you're going to look up in the sky, there's the angel Gabriel flying around and he's preaching the gospel. Let's go and hear what he has to say. We don't hear angels speak like this at this time. We don't look up and see angels flying around and then landing and then preaching the gospel. Because at this time... God has chosen that the message of the gospel is proclaimed by you and I. If we know and love the Lord Jesus, our great responsibility is to proclaim and to teach the gospel. To live out the gospel. To talk to our family, our children about the gospel of the Lord Jesus. To explain what's happened in our lives. And we spoke this morning of the very fact that the very best preaching there is, is the preaching that explains what has happened in somebody's heart and life. Because somebody who comes along and they hear that, and then suddenly they say to themselves, now I understand why it is that so-and-so is like they are. Because the Holy Spirit has come into their hearts and lives and they've been changed completely and utterly. And this is why you can come across some people that have come from terrible backgrounds, 
terrible sinful backgrounds and then suddenly everything is changed and they're the most gentle people that you could ever imagine and they're the most sincere people that you can ever imagine. They're the most honest people that you can ever imagine because their heart has been changed and all of a sudden everything has gone from their old life and the new has come because they've been made a new creation. And there are some of us here this evening that can talk of these things. And there's some of us here this evening that are the very point that I'm trying to make. This is God at work. Now, of course, the preaching of the gospel is an awesome responsibility. And that responsibility has been given to God's people. Those of us who know and love the Savior, those of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus have been given the task of preaching the gospel in the world in which we live in the community in which we live, in the family that we're a part of. remember hearing about a young lady who went went to university. This is in England, and she was brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, by a, a mission that was taking place at the university. And she goes home, and her, her family are really upset because all of a sudden, the way she lived her life was incompatible with the way that they lived. She stopped drinking heavily, which is the standard thing for young people in Britain to do. Alcoholism is terrible in the country amongst young people. And she didn't say the right things. Her father was fed up with the fact that she no longer swore anymore and cursed and all the rest of it. And so they take her to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist says, oh, she's got religion. She'll get over it. Don't worry about it. It'll go soon. And it didn't go Because it was here that was changed. And she couldn't help but share the gospel with her family and her friends. And she kept on and she kept on and she kept on. And eventually the whole of her family came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because she was supernatural. And that's what happens. And that's why we're not afraid to talk about the gospel. Even when you get slapped in the face tripped up as you're walking along. The task of preaching the gospel, of sharing our faith with those around us, those in our families, those in our communities, friends, neighbors, we share the gospel with them. Jesus appears to the 11 before he's taken back to heaven and he explains what their next task is to be. Does he say you remain behind the locked doors of your room? No one can get at you there. And while you're locked away, we'll send the angels out to proclaim the gospel? No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. And you're going to be bold. And you're going to be prepared to stand up and be counted. Not because of your strength, but because of my strength. And I'm going to live in you and I'm going to do it through you. And you're going to go into this world and my church is not going to be held back. And it's going to grow and it's going to grow against all the odds. The might of the Roman Empire. You know, worship Caesar. I was reading uh, an account of... uh, Uh, a rebellion that took place in the Roman Empire. Um, 
It's trying to remember the, the, uh, the emperor. That doesn't matter. The story is what matters. And the Roman legions were sent to quell the rebellion that was taking place in the southern part of Italy. And the rebels tried to make their escape towards the very southern part of Italy and then take a boat towards Greece. They're caught up with, and the Roman general was cruel beyond measure. And to remind the people that you don't do this, they crucified one every 100 meters on the way back to Rome. That was 6,000 men that were treated that way. That's where these people opened the locked door and walked out. That was the society that they were in. And so something supernatural took place and they were able to proclaim the gospel without fear. And the scripture says they spoke boldly as they did this. You see, it was not to remain in a locked room. It was to be bold. And all of this will happen as the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus doesn't say, stay in your locked room, keep the doors barred, because you'll feel safe there. And while you're feeling safe, I'll send myriads of angels and to come and to preach the gospel to the world. No, Jesus says, you go. You preach. You teach. You live for me. But now we read here, in the second half of what we call the tribulation period. I realize there are people that have different views and opinions on this. Uh, my wife and I and our family are planning on not being around during this particular part of the scripture here. If anybody needs our home while we're gone, the key will be under the mat at the front door. There's no coffee, but there's a decent box of tea bags to the right-hand side of the hob. Because you see here in verse 7, the angel says, the hour of his judgment has come. Now if you're saved, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then these words are not fearsome words to you. In fact, You've nothing to fear. Because whilst you will be judged, and this is the beauty of the gospel, and the thing that the world desperately is looking for, you will not be left alone. Nobody who comes to faith in Jesus is ever left alone. And as we face that judgment, our Lord Jesus will stand beside us as our advocate. And he will speak on our behalf to his Father. And he'll say, I know this guy. He's mine. 
Don't you love those words at the beginning of 1 John chapter 2? My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins. He takes the heat for us. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What wonderful words. We're not alone. When it really counts, we're not alone. When we have to give an account of ourselves before God, we have Jesus to speak on our behalf. Now, very quickly, back to the text. John looks up and he sees an angel. And he not only sees the angel, but he hears the words that the angel is saying. And the angel is preaching. He is preaching to those who dwell on the earth. All of them. They all can hear. And in fact, he is preaching to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, every person. And what is he preaching? He's preaching the everlasting gospel. And he says, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now remember that the beast is ruling the nations. Only those who have the mark of the beast are able to buy food and feed their families. But whilst the nations will fear the beast and give honor to him, the angel, this heavenly messenger, will call to the nations and summon them to fear and honor God alone. It is a reminder that God is the creator and he alone deserves worship. Now notice that this is not the gospel message as we know it. And indeed, as we read together in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, no, it is rather a return to the message of Romans chapter 1, verse 18. That section of scripture, which will be one of the very first sections of scripture to be removed from the Bible. As soon as the new official version from the government comes out. Let's read it together and just remind ourselves what is being spoken of. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made creation even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Men, man doesn't want to be without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incomparable God into an image made like corruptible man and birds 
and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then we don't read the section, we haven't timed this evening, but the next section, of course, is that section which is so abhorrent to society today. Now, it's good to be reminded of this powerful and indeed fearsome section of Scripture. No man or woman is without excuse. Let me say that again. There is no one without excuse. No one. Whilst the picture that Paul paints here is an ugly one, it's the truth. And we see it becoming more and more visible every single day. We listen to the radio, we read the newspaper, we switch the TV on, we go to news that's streamed to us online. The fact that you may choose not to hear or to see what is going on in the world today, because I'm increasingly coming across people who say, I don't want to hear the news anymore. I don't want to know what's going on. But the fact that you don't listen doesn't mean it's not happening. <laughs> it's like a small child who pretends to hide from you by covering their eyes and because they think, if I can't see you, you can't see me. But you can, can't you? The world every day becomes more and more visibly like the world we are warned about in the scriptures. But the world does not see because it doesn't want to see. God's description of sinners is not a pretty one. But we can't avoid it. Governments even try to legislate to reduce the pressure of sin in our nation and in our world. But just because the law says it's okay doesn't mean it's right and doesn't mean it's not sin. Allowing people to take their own lives in so-called assisted suicide does not mean that it is okay and that it's not sinful. The state has blood on its hands as never before. We all thought that the world would never be like Germany in the 1940s when undesirable groups were put to death. But slowly and surely that's changing. Just because it's lawful to terminate a pregnancy doesn't mean that God is okay with it. I want to remind you that Romans 1 does not teach evolution. That man started low and climbed high. It's the reverse that it teaches. It teaches devolution. It teaches that man started high. And because of sin, man sank lower than the animals. It's staggering that human history began with man knowing God personally. And then man turned and rejected God. 
God revealed himself to man through creation, the things that he had made. From the world around him, man knew who God was. He knew there was a God who had wisdom to plan and power to create. Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. And you can't help but see it every time you walk out. I was stood on a, on a mountain in the Lake District in England on one occasion. Um, I was quite chuffed that I'd managed to make it to the top. That was the exciting part. And as I stood and I looked uh, down across uh, one of the, the meres that uh, make up the Lake District, I just couldn't help but think to myself of the wonders of creation. And there was a chap who came up and he was sat there. We'd, we'd, we'd sort of struggled up the mountain um, sort of on and off together and so on. And I said, wow, what a great God we've got. And he looked at me and said, well, yeah, you could say that. But what about the parasitic worm who's eating the eyeball of a child in West Africa at the moment? Did God create that as well? It made me think. You know? And at the time, I couldn't answer him. But sin has come into the world. And creation is groaning <coughs> for the return of Christ. Man knew God. This is clear. But he did not want to know God. He didn't want to honor God. He actually wanted to be God. Instead of being thankful for all that God had given him, man refused to thank God or even give him the glory that he deserves. Yes, man was willing to use God's gifts, but he was not willing to worship and praise God for his gifts. What was the result? The result was an empty mind and a darkened heart. Man the worshipper became man the philosopher and man's empty wisdom just revealed his foolishness. Having held down God's truth and refused to acknowledge God's glory, man was left without a God. But man is so constituted in his makeup and in his being that he has to have something to worship. If he will not worship the true God, then he will worship a false God. Even if he has to manufacture that God himself. And that's what people do all around us. You see, this verse really brings Genesis, creation through to Revelation. Chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. All creation bears witness to God's existence as well as to his power and his wisdom. Nonetheless, the beast will do all he can to convince men 
and women that he is in charge of the world and that their destinies are in his hands. What is the message of the angel? It's the same message that it has always been. The angel calls men and women, boys and girls, to come back to the basics. God is creator. And so worship and serve him and him alone. Friends, time is short. The final curtain is about to open. Please do not leave it any longer. Call out to God and seek him while he may be found.